0: biggest problem pulling G, the camera would actually pack up at 4G. It was the mirror.
1: The old pilot's plain tales. Jeff Lee, the Master Photographer, Part 2. I continue my interview with Jeff Lee, who is the chief photographer for British Aerospace and who worked for Eurofighter, Airbus and many other famous companies. His skill as an air-to-air photographer is renowned throughout the world of aviation. We pick up our chat as Jeff tells us about some of the difficulties he encountered when in the air.
0: And then changing film, when 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 I ran out, I normally feel, uh, ran out, I never used the, my six magazine, that was my emergency backup, I generally got to about five and then I reload, but we had to do that, I had to be level, because then it was roll film, I had to stick and lick, but I couldn't lick because of my oxygen mask, so I had to take up taped so I could put it down. All these little things people didn't think about and then I look at today with modern day digital SLRs um, you know yes I take spare batteries yes I take spare cards with me but essentially it's significantly easier. G wise I can probably go to about 5G with, with a Nikon but there's a point where it's just too heavy and actually it's easier let's say we're pulling up into the vertical so once we're actually pulling maybe four, 4G 4 to actually get into the vertical. But once we're just almost hitting the vertical, then I take the camera off my knee and then put it to my eye. But again, another issue, um, which I didn't have with a Hasselblad, we had a 45 degree viewfinder. So because it's square format, wherever I put the camera, it was always the right way up, if you see, see my mean, whichever way, because it was square. And I could see 100% of the viewfinder, because it was a like a tube and I could put it to my... Uh, eye uh, underneath the helmet unfortunately modern day DSLRs because the helmet's about an inch away I can't actually get the camera to my eye so what you do is when I'm setting it up I actually just have to move it have the image slightly smaller on the zoom just so I, I don't crop left and right so I get the whole airplane in
1: yeah I didn't think about that either <coughs> getting the eyepiece to your face with a yeah. helmet on yeah that must be a nightmare yeah have you had any photographic disasters?
0: I've had one, and um, only one in forty years. I've had, I've had, <laughs> okay, I've had three. <laughs> my, my most famous one: um, I was in Cyprus with the Red Arrows, and I was uh, using a Hasselblad with a digital back, and I was also using uh, a Nikon. And I was, we were doing three flights a day. From the time you land, they debrief. You get about ten or fifteen minutes, um, sometimes just to have lunch or to have a coffee, and then it's brief and then go flying again. And my thing is, when we landed after each flight, I, I literally put the SD card, downloaded it, so I was always on a on a on a fresh card every time. And then on one sortie, I'd use the Hasselblad. Next one, I would use the um, the Nikon. So middle flight, walk to the airplane, strapped in. And everything I teach people in camera clubs, the one thing I didn't do was check that I actually had uh, a card, a CF card in my uh, back. But anyway, so uh, Dave Middleton was my pilot, mids. Uh, We were strapping in, canopy closed, start the engine. And at this stage, I thought, well, I'll just double check that everything's working on the camera. And so anyway, turned it on and suddenly I get this message with E-R-R on my Nikon. And I'm going, what the hell is this? What the hell is this? And anyway, then I opened the cover and I had no, effectively no uh, film in my camera. So I thought, what do I do? Essentially, I could get airborne, have 20 minutes flying with the Reds and land and probably nobody know because I was flying with them for two weeks. But I was honest. So I I said to uh, Dave, my my pilot, I said, Dave, you're not going to believe this in the rush swapping over cameras. I haven't actually loaded my camera with with any um CF cards. So straight away on the radio this is red 10 to to all the reds just to let you know. Jeff hasn't got any film in his, in his camera <laughs> and the beers are on him tonight. Oh, how lovely. So that's that's probably my most embarrassing. Oh yeah, um,
1: and perhaps most expensive. Yes, because yeah, those boys can drink. Yes. So that's been perhaps your uh, worst moment. But what has been perhaps some of your most satisfying, interesting, exciting or even funny airborne shoots?
0: I've had quite a varied. For me, because I've been associated with the Hawker aircraft all my life, I suppose some of my flights that I remember are probably in a Harrier. I still, to this day, I still find it bizarre. You can be doing three, four hundred knots at low level or whatever you're doing. And then suddenly... Come back to your airfield and you can vertically land. I mean, it's uh, and or do a V-stall takeoff. that v takeoff. I mean, the kick when they put those throttles forward is, is probably Eurofighter is the nearest thing to it. Uh, maybe the Lightning was. Unfortunately, that was one air. The only aeroplane in, in in that was around when I was uh, flying. The only one I never got to go in the two-seater. It's it's failed me. And every time I got the opportunity, I think a colleague of yours, Ian Black. Would, would would take that because he was obviously a pilot in the Air Force and I would end up with a Hawk. And that's what happened. And then eventually I got a Phantom ride. And again, everybody said, don't don't use a, a Phantom because the view's awful. When I finally got to have a couple of rides, they were brilliant because the guy cross-controlled so I could get uh, overhead shots. He could do that with a tornado. The computer would say, sorry, can't do that and and level you out all the time.
1: Well, that's exactly right. Yeah, You could never yaw the airplane. It would go, no, you shouldn't be doing that.
0: Phantom, yeah, okay, there was a lot of stuff in front of me. But sidewards, as long as he could yaw the airplane, no problems whatsoever. Did you ever learn how to turn the inertial navigation system on? Well, I was given it lots of times to do on F3s, and I can honestly say to this day... I don't know how that airplane ever got airborne half the time, because every time we did it, you know, I had a navigator having to do it for me or occasionally they would let me do it. But it just seemed to be a nightmare. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we met in
1: Australia during uh, the F3 Tornado sales tour. I believe it was
0: Excise Golden Eagle. Now, what was your position in the company by then? At that stage, I was—I'd um, been promoted from junior photographer to photographer. Not that it actually changed anything, <laughs> but I, I was no longer the junior. I was actually just one of the members of the staff. So I was given the opportunity to go on this three-month detachment uh, on on Golden Eagle, which was four Tornado F3s around the world. For me, I was actually only doing a month and a half on Golden Eagle because at the same time, British Aerospace were taking out a Hawk 100 and a 200 to try and sell it to uh, the Australian Air Force as well as the various Middle East and also Asian uh, air forces around. So I went on Golden Eagle for a month and a half. Uh, so Singapore, Thailand, Malaysia. Yeah, yeah. And then Australia. Australia. So I, I then was in Australia for two weeks um, for the air show, the Bicentenary. And then then I came back on a, a 146 aeroplane, which was our support aeroplane, back through those all those same countries again, but with a Hawk 100 and a Hawk 200. Uh, a lot of it was photographing dignitaries that were flying the aeroplane. It was also f- when we were on um, on the exercises in Thailand, Singapore and Malaysia, the EADS exercise We'd photographed the foreign air forces. So we built up a story of the whole tour. It was most
1: enjoyable. Did you get involved in any other major uh, events that you can
0: recall? Yeah, I've been sort of quite lucky my whole working life. I've been on a couple of Red Arrows overseas trips, again to the Middle East. Uh, And again, I'm very lucky to get to fly. My first ever trip in 1980 was a a Middle Eastern trip. And again, it was essentially the Red Arrows were, were our ambassadors. There's a lot of marketing behind the scenes, but there are ambassadors when we go overseas. I've been on two American hawk tours. I've also been to Finland numerous times with Hawk, which eventually ended up in sales. I've also, after the Golden Eagle, I went two years later. I was invited back with the mud movers and the air defenders this time. So, again, I went out there, and I'm very lucky to get some air-to-air sorties whilst out on both of these trips. So, uh, in fact, I got my first F3 trip uh, when I was on, uh, out in Golden Eagle. And we did the, the, the famous photograph of an F3 over the bridge over River Kwaii. Oh, wow. Yes. That must have been superb. Yeah. Who was your pilot? Shiny Simmons.
1: Oh, Shiny. Huh? Shiny, yes. <laughs> shiny was...
0: And I look at these pictures, one of my colleagues took some pictures of me then. I mean, it's, I couldn't recognise myself I know, now. <laughs> I know, it's great,
1: isn't it? By that time, you were the chief photographer of
0: BA Systems, is that right? When Kingston closed in 93, I was uh, chief photographer and deputy head of department. Now, when you set up your own company, a very
1: special door that I um, am very jealous of, because I never got to fly a Eurofighter. Opened up for you. Perhaps you can explain what happened.
0: Yes, out the blue, I got a phone call from Munich, which was Eurofighters, and to this day still is their their head office, from a guy called Ian Bustin who was their PR manager. It took me by surprise, really. But he said they were looking for a professional photographer that had been in the aircraft industry all their life, but somebody they could trust work with and establish friendships or working relationships with other uh, parts of the manufacturing of uh, the aeroplane because it's um, at that time and still is. The main four um, uh, companies that manufacture Eurofighter are, are based in, in the UK, they're in Germany, Spain and Italy. So they needed somebody that could get, get on with the Italians, the the Germans, uh, go to their factory that obviously had security approval, which I have, and could work with them and still produce the images that the company wanted. And also, eventually, they were hoping that I could then get to meet the test pilots on a regular basis and then persuade them, you know, with my background, that I was the person to get airborne to start doing the Eurofighter images. After the uh, initial interview in Munich, they invited me back to go to Manching, which is their test facility, and uh, photograph a test pilot working up his routine for the Farnborough Air Show. And to this day, you know, 19 years on, um, you know, I still do photography for Eurofighter. Brilliant. Uh, How many times did you get to fly in the aircraft? Um, I've I've got over 20 hours in Eurofighter. It's only been with the, the UK, the Royal Air Force that I've flown in their Eurofighters. My claim to fame... I was the first uh, civilian photographer to fly in uh, RF uh, Eurofighter Typhoon. Excellent. Great job.
1: Mm. There have been some classic aviation
0: photographers. Arthur Gibson? He's somebody I respected greatly. And um, he, to a degree, was my mentor. And he really was the person who I wanted to become. What used to happen is that Arthur used to come and do an awful lot of photography, primarily with the Red Arrows, but he started to come into BA Systems. Uh, we, we, our marketing department, PR department, hired him to, to produce films for us. And I would see some of his image images, and what it would do, it inspired me, because I just felt, if he can do it, and become, not that I want fame, that's, you know, I just enjoy doing what I do for a living, and hopefully, more importantly, the pilots or whoever—that's that's where I get my buzz—and I started work at trying to get equally good images. And there was another chap at the same time, actually, a lot younger. And unfortunately, he passed away last year. Richard Cook, and Richard Cook pioneered pioneered the head-on pictures by using a um, a pod underneath an aeroplane, a hawk, and the aeroplanes would fly. In fact, a hunter—I tell you, it was a hunter—and the aeroplanes would come basically uh, stern of the airplane and they would maneuver or whatever but he was famed he was the first person that really put head-on photography into the magazines and around and they started to do a lot but they were both freelance uh, photographers and working for the company where essentially I could tap into our own assets I just thought you know this is this was my this was my goal and from my first flight in 1980 I suppose it probably took between seven and ten years where I started to chip away and get a name for myself in the outside world. Um and again through Valley, Chivna and Broadie, whenever there were new squadrons joining, new paint schemes, new whatever, because I started to have friends there, they I would be their first port of call. Uh, and I would turn up, we do the pictures and whatever, produce prints for everybody. But so it 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 was never an overnight thing. You have to work at these things. Um, and for me, it probably was 10 years before I had a had a small name on the outside world of, you know, producing images for um, for BA systems.
1: Looking back, is there any one image that you can really
0: think of as your best or are they just too many? There's probably too many, but there's there's one shot that stands out. And it's not necessarily if I showed it to you now and I, I, I will email it to you. But it's. The manner at which it was taken, it was, uh, I can't remember the year, but it was early 80s. And I was very lucky uh, in 80 to meet Brian Hoskins, who was the leader of the Red Arrows. And he later became uh, uh, Wing Commander Ops at uh, RAF Brody. And I explained to him one day that what I really wanted uh, was three Hawks in an inside turn, but stepped up. And he said to me, Jeff, never work, it's impossible. So I said to him, if I can prove it works with one aeroplane, I can tell you it will work with three and then four. And he, he said, I can categorically, said Jeff, it will not work. And in another, fact, through another friend of ours, uh, Nigel Demry, he was the first person that we tried this w- with, and it worked. So I, I knew in my mind it would work. He, as a pilot, said, Jeff, it will not work. And by that stage, he had thousands of hours of flying under his belt. Well, anyway, he very kindly sourced um, a hawk from uh, Chivna. There was one from Brodie. There was from one from Valley, and there was a red arrow plus my aeroplane, and we all met over Mid Wales. And I got first. The, I got the first one in place, then the second and the third, then the fourth, and then we then did a thirty-degree uh, starboard turn, but gently rolling in. And once everybody had rolled in and there was separation, we then I stepped each one up, moved them slightly fu- further forward, backwards or whatever to get the ideal position. And after about four or five 360s, we finally got the shot. And the nicest comment to me, you know, and again, it's not about me, is when a pilot says, I told you, I, I didn't think it was going to work, but you've proved me wrong. And that really, for me, was a big tick in the box. Particularly from someone
1: with that level of experience. Exactly. Ex-leader of the Reds. Yeah. That's very impressive.
0: And just um, other shots that are um, special for different ways are uh, some of my missile firing shots, because uh, that is just, even for civilian, is to be beside an airplane when a rocket or a missile goes off. Um that is out of this world. And they have been probably, uh, when I look at them and think, how the hell did I do that? You know, it's, it's those sorts of things. And again, with Eurofighter, even though industry had fired ASRAM uh, missiles, I was invited to the first RAF serviceman firing a missile on the range at Aberporth in, uh, in Wales. I was flying from Leeming and I had flight lieutenant at the time, Sally Cronin, uh, flying me. But Sally was an F3 uh, pilot. Excellent. And she, I was assigned for uh, the week. We knew it wouldn't take a week, but we, we were given an airplane and uh, I was given Sally for a week. So we, we went a couple of times to Valley and the weather wasn't suitable and all sorts. There was, a, there was a boat in the range. And eventually, the profile we were doing, we were originally going to be um, line abreast for the firing. It was a fairly simple setup, hence why we were offered this one. And 350 knots and we were obviously going to the uh, Eurofighter was going to be guided onto the uh, uh, Mirage target and then he was going to fire his ASRAM once the flares were lit. And we would be on his his left hand side, port side, to get the shots. And as we were walking to the aeroplane strapped in and we got over the uh, radio, the Eurofighter pilot said the range have um, decided that they want us to now do it at 450 knots. So we took off from Leeming, and obviously enough time to get from Leeming to Valley, and then waited for the Eurofighters to get airborne, and then they gave us a 50-minute delay. So we basically we went up to about 25,000 feet to uh, conserve fuel. But during our transit over to Valley, we had to work out, um, because on a Eurofighter, when they go from 350 knots to 450 knots. It's just a little tweak of the throttle and they're there pretty instantaneous. Our little hawk, it takes a couple of seconds for the engine to spool up and actually get to 450. So what Sally had actually, what we were working out was how we were going to get that, that 100 knots quickly when, when the range called 350 to 450, how we could get there.
1: Find out how this shoot went, and listen to some more of Jeff's fantastic stories in the next Plain Tale. If you want to see what Jeff is up to and take a look at some of his images, visit his website at plainfocus.com. If you enjoyed this interview, please leave us a review at Apple Podcasts. Plane Tales is a featured segment of the Airline Pilot Guy show. You can find us at airlinepilotguy.com.